0: Part 1, Section 6 of Swan's Way by Marcel Proust, translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief, 1889-1930. to This recording is in the public domain. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part 1, Overture, Section 6. My mother opened the lattice door which led from the hall to the staircase. Presently I heard her coming upstairs to close her window. I went quietly into the passage. My heart was beating so violently that I could hardly move, but at least it was throbbing no longer with anxiety, but with terror and with joy. I saw in the well of the stair a light coming upwards from Mamma's candle. Then I saw Mamma herself. I threw myself upon her. For an instant she looked at me in astonishment, not realizing what could have happened. Then her face assumed an expression of anger. She said not a single word to me, and for that matter, I used to go for days on end without being spoken to for far less offences than this. A single word from mamma would have been an admission that further intercourse with me was within the bounds of possibility, and that might perhaps have appeared to me more terrible still, as indicating that, with such a punishment as was in store for me, mere silence and even anger were relatively poor. I'll a word from her then would have implied the false calm in which one converses with a servant to whom one has just decided to give notice the kiss one bestows on a son who is being packed off to enlist which would have been denied him if it had been merely a matter of being angry with him for a few days but she heard my father coming from the dressing-room where he had gone to take off his clothes and to avoid the scene which he would make if he saw me she said in a voice half stifled by her anger run away at once don't let your father see you standing there like a crazy jane but i begged her again to come and say good-night to me terrified as i saw the light from my father's candle already creeping up the wall but also making use of his approach as a means of blackmail in the hope that my mother not wishing him to find me there as find me he must if she continued to hold out would give in to me and say go back to your room i will come too late my father was upon us instinctively i murmured though no one heard me i am done for i was not however my father used constantly to refuse to let me do things which were quite clearly allowed by the more liberal charters granted me by my mother and grandmother because he paid no heed to principles and because in his sight there were no such things as rights of man for some quite irrelevant reason or for no reason at all he would at the last moment prevent me from taking some particular walk one so regular and so consecrated to my use that to deprive me of it was a clear breach of faith or again as he had done this evening long before the appointed hour he would snap out run along up to bed now no excuses but then again simply because he was devoid of principles in my grandmother's sense so he could not, properly speaking, be called inexorable. He looked at me for a moment with an air of annoyance and surprise, and then when mamma had told him, not without some embarrassment, what had happened, said to her, Go along with him, then. You said just now that you didn't feel like sleep, so stay in his room for a little. I don't need anything. But, dear, my mother answered timidly, whether or not I feel like sleep is not the point. We must not make the child accustomed. "'There's no question of making him accustomed,' said my father, "'with a shrug of the shoulders. "'You can see quite well that the child is unhappy. "'After all, we aren't jailers. "'You'll end by making him ill, and a lot of good that will do. "'There are two beds in his room. "'Tell Francoise to make up the big one for you, "'and stay beside him for the rest of the night. "'I'm off to bed anyhow. I'm not nervous like you. "'Good night.' "'It was impossible for me to thank my father.' What he called my sentimentality would have exasperated him. I stood there, not daring to move. He was still confronting us, an immense figure in his white nightshirt, crowned with the pink and violet scarf of Indian cashmere, in which, since he had begun to suffer from neuralgia, he used to tie up his head, standing like Abraham in the engraving after Benozzo Gozzoli, which Monsieur Swan had given me, telling Sarah that she must tear herself away from Isaac many years have passed since that night the wall of the staircase up which i had watched the light of his candle gradually climb was long ago demolished and in myself too many things have perished which i imagined would last for ever and new structures have arisen giving birth to new sorrows and new joys which in those days i could not have foreseen just as now the old are difficult of comprehension it is a long time, too, since my father has been able to tell Mamma to go with the child. Never again will such hours be possible for me. But of late I have been increasingly able to catch, if I listen attentively, the sound of the sobs which I had the strength to control in my father's presence and which broke out only when I found myself alone with Mamma. Actually, their echo has never ceased. It is only because life is now growing more and more quiet round about me that i hear them afresh like those convent bells which are so effectively drowned during the day by the noises of the streets that one would suppose them to have been stopped forever until they sound out again through the silent evening air mamma spent that night in my room when i had just committed a sin so deadly that i was waiting to be banished from the household my parents gave me a far greater concession than i should ever have won as the reward of a good action even at the moment when it manifested itself in this crowning mercy, my father's conduct towards me was still somewhat arbitrary, and regardless of my deserts, as was characteristic of him, and due to the fact that his actions were generally dictated by chance expediencies rather than based on any formal plan, and perhaps even what I called his strictness when he sent me off to bed, deserved that title less, really, than my mother's or grandmother's attitude for his nature, which in some respects differed more than theirs from my own, had probably prevented him from guessing until then how wretched I was every evening, a thing which my mother and grandmother knew well, but they loved me enough to be unwilling to spare me that suffering which they hoped to teach me to overcome, so as to reduce my nervous sensibility and to strengthen my will. As for my father, whose affection for me was of another kind, I doubt if he would have shown so much courage, for as soon as he had grasped the fact that I was unhappy, he had said to my mother, Go and comfort him. Mamma stayed all night in my room, and it seemed that she did not wish to mar by recrimination those hours so different from anything that I had had a right to expect. For when Françoise, who guessed that something extraordinary must have happened, when she saw Mamma sitting by my side, holding my hand and letting me cry unchecked, said to her but madame what is little master crying for she replied why francoise he doesn't know himself it is his nerves make up the big bed for me quickly and then go off to your own and thus for the first time my unhappiness was regarded no longer as a fault for which i must be punished but as an involuntary evil which had been officially recognized a nervous condition for which i was in no way responsible I had the consolation that i need no longer mingle apprehensive scruples with the bitterness of my tears i could weep henceforward without sin i felt no small degree of pride either in Françoise's presence at this return to humane conditions which not an hour after mamma had refused to come up to my room and had sent the snubbing message that i was to go to sleep raised me to the dignity of a grown-up person brought me of a sudden to a sort of puberty of sorrow, to emancipation from tears. I ought then to have been happy. I was not. It struck me that my mother had just made a first concession, which must have been painful to her, that it was a first step down from the ideal she had formed for me, and that for the first time she, with all her courage, had to confess herself beaten. It struck me that if I had just scored a victory, it was over her, that i had succeeded as sickness or sorrow or age might have succeeded in relaxing her will in altering her judgment that this evening opened a new era must remain a black date in the calendar and if i had dared now i should have said to mamma no i don't want you you mustn't sleep here but i was conscious of the practical wisdom of what would be called nowadays the realism with which she tempered the ardent idealism of my grandmother's nature "'and I knew that now the mischief was done "'she would prefer to let me enjoy "'the soothing pleasure of her company "'and not to disturb my father again. "'Certainly my mother's beautiful features "'seemed to shine again with youth that evening, "'as she sat gently holding my hands "'and trying to check my tears. "'But just for that reason it seemed to me "'that this should not have happened. "'Her anger would have been less difficult to endure "'than this new kindness which my childhood had not known.' I felt that I had with an impious and secret finger traced a first wrinkle upon her soul and made the first white hair show upon her head. This thought redoubled my sobs, and then I saw that Mamma, who had never allowed herself to go to any length of tenderness with me, was suddenly overcome by my tears and had to struggle to keep back her own. Then, as she saw that I had noticed this, she said to me with a smile, Why, my little buttercup, my little canary boy he's going to make mamma as silly as himself if this goes on look since you can't sleep and mamma can't either we mustn't go on in this stupid way we must do something i'll get one of your books but i had none there would you like me to get out the books now that your grandmother is going to give you for your birthday just think it over first and don't be disappointed if there is nothing new for you then i was only too delighted and mamma went to find a parcel of books in which i could not distinguish through the paper in which it was wrapped any more than its squareness and size but which even at this first glimpse brief and obscure as it was bade fair to eclipse already the paint-box of last new year's day and the silkworms of the year before it contained la mer au diable francois le champi la petite fadette and le maitre Sonneur. my grandmother as i learned afterwards had at first chosen mousset's poems a volume of rousseau and in indiana for while she considered light reading as unwholesome as sweets and cakes she did not reflect that the strong breath of genius must have upon the very soul of a child an influence at once more dangerous and less quickening than those of fresh air and country breezes upon his body but when my father had seemed almost to regard her as insane on learning the names of the books she proposed to give me she had journeyed back by herself to jouy le vicomte to the booksellers so that there should be no fear of my not having my present in time it was a burning hot day and she had come home so unwell that the doctor had warned my mother not to allow her again to tire herself in that way and had there fallen back upon the four pastoral novels of george sand my dear she had said to mamma i could not allow myself to give the child anything that was not well written the truth was that she could never make up her mind to purchase anything from which no intellectual profit was to be derived and above all that profit which good things bestowed on us by teaching us to seek our pleasures elsewhere than in the barren satisfaction of worldly wealth even when she had to make someone a present of the kind called useful when she had to give an armchair or some table-silver or a walking-stick she would choose antiques as though their long desuetude had effaced from them any semblance of utility and fitted them rather to instruct us in the lives of the men of other days than to serve the common requirements of our own she would have liked me to have in my room photographs of ancient buildings or of beautiful places but at the moment of buying them and for all that the subject of the picture had an aesthetic value of its own she would find that vulgarity and utility had too prominent a part in them through the mechanical nature of their reproduction by photography she attempted by a subterfuge if not to eliminate altogether their commercial banality at least to minimize it to substitute for the bulk of it what was art still to introduce as it might be several thicknesses of art instead of photographs of chartres cathedral of the fountains of st cloud or of vesuvius she would inquire of swann whether some great painter had not made pictures of them and preferred to give me photographs of chartres cathedral after corot of the Fountains of St. Cloud after Hubert Robert and the Vesuvius after Turner, which were a stage higher in the scale of art. But although the photographer had been prevented from reproducing directly the masterpieces or the beauties of nature, and had there been replaced by a great artist, he resumed his odious position when it came to reproducing the artist's interpretation. Accordingly, having to reckon again with vulgarity, my grandmother would endeavour to postpone the moment of contact still further she would ask swann if the picture had not been engraved preferring when possible old engravings with some interest of association apart from themselves such for example as show us a masterpiece in a state in which we can no longer see it to-day as morgan's print of the sinacolo of leonardo before it was spoiled by restoration it must be admitted that the results of this method of interpreting the art of making presents were not always happy. The idea which I formed of Venice from a drawing by Titian, which is supposed to have the lagoon in the background, was certainly far less accurate than what I have since derived from ordinary photographs. We could no longer keep count in the family when my great-aunt tried to frame an indictment of my grandmother of all the armchairs she had presented to married couples young and old which on a first attempt to sit down upon them had at once collapsed beneath the weight of their recipient. But my grandmother would have thought it sordid to concern herself too closely with the solidity of any piece of furniture in which could still be discerned a flourish, a smile, a brave conceit of the past, and even what in such pieces supplied a material need, since it did so in a manner to which we are no longer accustomed, was as charming to her as one of those old forms of speech, in which we can still see traces of a metaphor whose fine point has been worn away by the rough usage of our modern tongue. In precisely the same way, the pastoral novels of George Sand, which she was giving me for my birthday, were regular lumber-rooms of antique furniture, full of expressions that have fallen out of use and returned as imagery, such as one finds now only in country dialects. And my grandmother had bought them in preference to other books, just as she would have preferred to take a house that had a gothic dovecote or some other such piece of antiquity as would have a pleasant effect on the mind, filling it with a nostalgic longing for impossible journeys through the realms of time. End of part one, section six. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.